When I came to this country, I had brogues on my feet. A card arrived riches, although they looked neat. I'll never forget them while my heart beats with joy, for they call me their darling, the wild Irish boy. The voice of one Michael C. O'Brien, who left Ireland in the 1870s, more than a hundred years ago. Like many another immigrant of the 1800s, he made his home in the New World. Though forced to leave at the age of 16, he took with him the memories and the stories and the hopes of his native land, a land that he was never to see again. And with passion and conviction, he passed on these stories of Ireland, by an American fireside, to his American grandchild. Tell me the story of how during the time of the Land League, he was very active and uh, he had been burning haystacks and and he was involved with other people of the Land League, and he was under suspicion. But one day he was walking down the road, and the landlord approached him on a uh, horse. And the landlord stopped and said, uh, don't you tip your hat when you meet me? And my grandfather said, I only tip my hat when I meet a priest or when I pass in front of a church. And at that, the uh, landlord swung at him with a whip, and he grabbed him and pulled him off his horse and knocked him down. Well, he got away, and his friends got together, and they were very concerned about him because uh, he was already under suspicion. And so they hustled him out of the country and got him to America, and that's how he happened to come to America. Robert Gorman absorbed the life and lore of his grandfather. And today in his Chicago home, now a grandfather himself, he passes on the same stories of Ireland to his own grandchildren. Later we'll hear how he came to Ireland in search of his roots and how he found the old homestead and walked the fields at the foot of the silver mines, where his grandfather stood over a hundred years ago. In recent years, more and more Irish Americans who visit Ireland forsake the scenic route. They chart their own course through valleys and villages, which evoke a world and a way of life they once glimpsed in the firelight, when as children they listened to the stories of an Irish grandparent, an Irishman's dream of home, shared with his grandchildren in a new and different world. There's a form at the casement, the form of her true love, and he whispers with face bent, I'm waiting for you, love. Step up on the stool, through the lattice step lightly, and we roll in the grove while the moon's shining brightly. Merrily, cheerily, noisily, Wings the wheel, spins the wheel, while the foot's stirring. Brightly and lightly and airily ringing, sounds the sweet voice of the young maiden singing. Of course, Alex Haley and his popular television series Roots had a lot to do with all this. The Irish, like the black Americans, are heirs to a rich oral tradition and it's the passing on from generation to generation of this wealth of story and song about a place and its people that provides the continuity and cultural identity. Genealogy is about continuity too, and there are many Irish Americans who never had exposure to the Baelidus, but they come to Ireland and visit libraries and parish priests determined to find their roots. The genealogical office in Dublin Castle receives about 7,000 inquiries each year and callers receive advice and are given an opportunity to search through records and various sources. 
It's a place of books and bustle, with eager Americans digging into their past, often with little to go on. Andy Carey in 1857, he was born. Now, unfortunately, um, government registration didn't begin until 1864, and it's not possible to check a parish record because we don't know what parish is, is in, involved. How many parishes uh, are there in, or were there in County Kerry? Uh, Do you have There any? are many, many parishes. So we do have a list of householders in the 1850s. But unfortunately, when we look at this list, you see at once that Lynch is a very, very common name. There are um, 80 families of Lynch listed here, 47 families, 61 families, mm -hmm. so many families. Yes. And the name of the barony is, is given as well. Yes. So Lynch is a very, very common name in County Kerry. So unless you can give us a m more precise location than County Kerry, it's very unlikely that um, you will be able to find that Michael Thomas Lynch. What you, you should do is to look at every American record you can, trying to find the exact l location of the home of Michael Thomas Lynch, or if not the exact location, some more precise location than just County Kerry. Mm -hmm. And if you got that, then you would have an entry into Irish records. Summertime usually means a constant stream of callers for Brian McKenna and his colleagues at the genealogical office. We try and, and uh, ad advise people most of the records that are useful to people wishing to trace their ancestry aren't here, but are in other institutions in Dublin. So what we try and do is to talk to them and tell them where, where they can go to, to look up these records. What kind of records, for instance, would help people to trace um, a grandfather who may have been born in County Kerry in 1840? 1840 is a very difficult period because government registration of births, marriages and deaths didn't begin until 1864. So for the 1840s, the main source would be parish registers, which are in fact held locally by the relevant parish priest. So um, what we have here is a work called Griffith's Valuation, which is a list of all the householders in the, 18, in the 1850s. So... Um, if they can tell us um, whereabouts in Kerry that person came from, we can look up this work and hopefully find the person. All the public records, I think, were burnt. Well, the public record office um, fire took place in 1922. And that, of course, is a great nuisance because it um, meant that no census returns are available until 1901. The census returns were either burnt in the fire or had been pulped by the government. Uh, but it doesn't... Um, the records of the Custom House are, of course, extant and are complete from 1864. But unfortunately, 1864 is rather late because most of the people emigrated in the 1820s, 30s and 40s. Before, during, uh, during the famine, I suppose. During the famine years. Mm. Um, at a time when public records were very, very poor. So apart from the local register in the appropriate church um, and land valuation, are, mm -hmm. what are the other sources of information? Most of the other sources of information are, are relevant to people whose ancestors were reasonably well off. There is, for example, the Registry of Deeds, and 
those records go back to about 1700. But unfortunately, they are of no interest to the descendants of most of the people who emigrated, who were, who were, whose ancestors were very, very poor. Well, uh, my father was Stephen Nolan, and he emigrated from... Uh, uh, Not Nagashal. Not <laughs> In County Kerry. In County Kerry. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, your mother? My mother was uh, Winifred Green. She emigrated from uh, County Galway. In, uh, she lived between Athenry and Loch Ray. You have a lot of notes taken now from yes. various um, records here. Right. What actually have you found? Well, right now we're looking up um, land records of about 1852. That's what we are, we are finding available here. We intend to go other places in Dublin and as we, well. Uh, we've also been to uh, Loch Ray and visited uh, Father Liam uh, Nocton right. at uh, my mother's parish. And we were, although we found all of her relatives and my grandmother's relatives, we couldn't find my grandmother. Nor your mother. Nor my mother. <laughs> Could you sum up why it is so important to actually trace your ancestors? I think you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And I think it's important to know your background. When they told me I must leave the place, I tried to keep a cheerful face. For to show me heart's deep sorrow, I was scorned. But the tears will surely blind me for the friends I'll leave behind me when I start for Philadelphia in the morning. But though me bundle. On me shoulder, and there's no man could be bolder. Though I believe in tea in the spot that I was born in, yet someday I'll take the notion to come back across the ocean to my home in Tyrold, Ireland. Irish ancestors that you're trying to trace here? Yes, we have. We have known ancestors. I'm trying to follow back beyond where I know. How far back do you know? I know back to about 1770. And so I need, I'm trying to get back beyond 1770 and tie my family uh, to Reds that lived in Wexford. Or back about, from about 1580 or 87 on. And I'm trying to tie my great-great-grandfather Gordon Arthur Rudd uh, to this Wexford family. He married a girl in Kilkenny at Freshford, and I can't find any record of the marriage, but... Uh, Do you know what her name was? Yes, her name was Alicia Wellwood, and she was one of 15 children. You're talking about the 18th century? We're talking about the 18th century now, yes. Now, was your grandfather born in America or in Ireland? My grandfather was born in Ireland. He went to America in 1849 or 1851, right after the, or during the potato famine, as a boy of about 10 years old. Uh, his dad, my great-granddad, 
was born here in, in Rothsarn Parish. At that time, Queens County, County Leeds. These are some of the sources we were checking just today. Um, the uh, tithe allotment books here with uh, Mr. Tom Dempsey in the genealogical office and uh, the public records office. Also, an index of Protestant marriages in the years that apply, 1740 to 1840, approximately. Could you explain to me what it is that is um, that motivates you to search with oh. such diligence for your ancestors in Ireland? How important is it and why? Well, it isn't uh, earth-shaking, but it's very interesting. It's very... Uh, I think the people that live here, you have it around you all the time so you don't pay any attention to it. When you're, when, when you're from a long ways off and your people have migrated over there, you wonder why. You wonder where they came from. And you wonder what your roots are. And so that's really the motivation. The motivation is to try to find out, uh, just in my case, what I'm trying to do is find out what happened to these nine red children. Where did they go? Our fathers before us were forced out to roam. Tis the laws of coercion that drive us from home. And the laws made for Aaron our scheme and plan to send her sons roaming like me from. Have you noticed an increase in the number of people who are daily coming to the genealogical office here to establish their, their roots? There has been a great increase over a number of years, an enormous increase in the last 15 years or so, and there's no sign of any, of any, sl any, any, any slackening of interest. To what do you attribute that, or do people talk about that, or are they, are they just generally more conscious of it and uh, more enthusiastic in their attempt to trace back? Um, people are very keen to find their roots to... I think they, they would like to be able to stand in some Irish field and look at the site of their an, 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 an ancestral home. Um, it satisfies some type of need. Probably a deep need. That Absolutely. Have, so. It's very noticeable that Irish people don't appear to have this need and um, this because I think they are in touch with their roots. So many of them are either living in the country or even if they're in, in, in Dublin, they're first-generation city people or second-generation city people. But perhaps in, in a few generations' time, um, when they have lost touch with their roots, then I think you, you may see Irish people taking interest, again, when it's too late, <laughs> when their grandparents are dead. Local sources like libraries and parish registers can be very important too for the person in search of roots, as Padraig Omadine, Cork County Librarian, told me. No, we have to explain very simple things, like, for instance, that we didn't have state registration of births, deaths and marriages until 1864. And before that time, we have to depend mainly on parish registers. Now, these parish registers aren't in all cases readily available. And if they come to us without having a place name, well, the task is almost impossible. Because we have, for instance, 167 parishes 
in the four dioceses in County Cork, you know, how difficult it is to identify a place. What sources do you draw on here in the County Library in Cork? What records can you refer to to help somebody in their search? We have, in association of course now with Cork Archives Institute, about which I hope to speak to you some other time, uh, quite a considerable gathering of records here. Uh, we have land records, for instance, you know, estate rentals and so on like that. Then we have um, things like the tithe platinum books, your Griffiths valuation. Well, between those two, they bring you back to landholders in the 1820s on, you know. And for instance, you can trace the change of land ownership within one family, let's say, before the famine and after the famine from these records, very simply. Uh, we have available to us things like wills and um, quite a number of other records. Uh, it is worthwhile for any person coming to Ireland in search of their Cork ancestry to call to the public libraries. Uh, we would advise them that would be the first thing to do. Have you found that on some occasions where there are a number of um, O'Sullivan's, uh, a number of different uh, clans, I suppose, of the same family name, is the clan name important in that situation? Oh, the clan, clan name can be very important, can be a vital clue, because, you know, as I'm saying, if we can get back to the locality, then there's a good hope that we can trace that particular family. But without knowing the locality, we are completely lost. If a person wasn't aware of the clan names that went with the names like Sullivan's, McCarthy's, Donovan's, etc., he wouldn't really know what he was talking about or wouldn't know how to trace the records because, as an example, supposing a person was looking for a Sean O'Donovan born, say, in 1830, he would go to the year 1830 and he would see an entry something like this. Now, his mother would probably have been Mary McCarthy. So the record would be as follows. Sean, son of Michael Mayle and Mary Meenig. Now, the Mayle is the clan name, is one of the clan names of the Donovans and Meenig is one of the clan names of the McCarthy. So obviously his name was Sean Donovan, his mother's name was McCarthy. And what other examples of the clan names now can you recall? Well, as I said, there's the McCarthy Moors, the McCarthy Meanies, the McCarthy Sonies, the McCarthy Goiducks, the O'Donovan Glennies, the O'Donovan Males, the Sullivan Buigs, the Sullivan Bears, and so on. And um, these were used, you know, in, the, in order to distinguish the particular because of the number of people in the same of the same name in the same district or townland. What kind of people um, call to you? I presume, as you've said, a lot of Americans call. You have two types, really. You have the very young people <coughs> who would be looking for their great-grandparents or somebody like... And then you might have the... what I would call the people between 50 and 70 who would have some notion of what their grandmother had said to them or their great-grandmother, possibly. And... Um, for instance, last week uh, we had a lady here who had was looking for where her parents or great great grandparents were buried, and um, she produced a very, I th I think, an extraordinary letter which she found in her great in her grandmother's trunk, w which was written from Clannacilty in the on the 18th of February 1841, and sent to uh, uh, by boat to America. And in that letter, it gave a, a very full account of all that had happened in Clannacilty and in the district, all the relations, how they were getting on, what they were doing, 
births, deaths and marriages, etc., for the period. And one of the things I noticed about the letter was it also said that <coughs> they should keep up once every quarter. In other words, the 1st of March, 1st of June, 1st of September and 1st of December, a constant letter that would give all this information and they in return in the States would transfer all that information to the relatives who had gone over there. And this to me was, is, was an amazing letter. So what steps will you take now to try and trace the man who wrote this letter 140 years ago? Well, there are some names mentioned in the letter, particularly from the Arfield area. And um, there are some people out there with long memories and they would probably be able to, because they might be the same family, would be still in the same holding as were there then, and uh, we might get a trace that way. Liam Ahern of Clonakilty, who obviously enjoys the search for those elusive ancestors. Of course, the commercial side of all this genealogical interest has not been overlooked. One West Cork auctioneer is hoping to commemorate all the Irish-American presidents in a field near Ballyporeen in County Tipperary, the birthplace of President Reagan's ancestors. But Aer Lingus are promising something much more interesting a special genealogical package tour to Ireland. At the moment, Irish-American families receive a well-researched clan information pack in their mailboxes, with the invitation to retrace the footsteps of their own forefathers while they enjoy a holiday in Ireland. Tom Hoy told me what response they were expecting from a quarter of a million mailboxes. Right, well, it's not just a quarter of a million Americans, it's a quarter of a million households and... uh if you take the average household size, we expect to uh, reach over 600,000 Americans of Irish ancestry. Uh, and we hope to attract uh, quite a small percentage of those uh, in the first year, about uh, 25 to 3%. Do you think, is this one of the developments that's going to bring tourists back to Ireland in a way that they haven't been coming in recent years? Well, we certainly expect that it will increase the number of uh, tourist arrivals at Shannon, uh, over 90% of the people who will receive this material uh, will not have previously visited Ireland. And uh, our research showed that many of them had a basic wish to visit Ireland, but they didn't have a, a focus for their, their trip. They didn't have anything that would motivate them to do so today. And that's what we're trying to provide. Historian Hugh Ware undertook the research for this ambitious project. And when he visited America recently for the Bloomingdale's Irish promotion, he was amazed at the level of interest shown by Americans in their Irish ancestry. Uh, I would start talking to them, and a crowd would gather of other people, and, and they would say, could I listen in to what you're telling this person, because this is fascinating. And in the end, at one time, I had about 50 people all scrumming around me while I was uh, chatting to one family uh, about their background. And uh, obviously, I think people are interested not only in their own family, but in Irish history, uh, possibly linked to the present situation, because Ireland has been in the news, albeit uh, under difficult circumstances. How important is it, have you found, for the average Irish-American living in America I think, to get into this search for his roots? Yeah, I think that it's a new country. These people came out there. They didn't care two pins about their roots when they first came out there. They came out to a new country. Uh, they helped to mould this new country, uh, a, a very new, very young country. And only now have they, they found a place in that country. They've settled down. They are now Americans. Uh, they now have the confidence 
that they can look into their own roots, they can go back in history, and they want to identify with something further back in history. They don't... I think we all tend to look back, um, for instance, as Christians, to, to the history and antiquity of the Christian church. Uh, as Irishmen, those American Irishmen, want to look back to the history of their family. They want to go way back, if they can, and identify with something more than just the modern state, which is a conglomeration of people from all over the world who have uh, pooled themselves and their resources and so forth. I think this is possibly why they're so interested in their, their own roots. Now, some families are easier to trace than others. What difficulties, Hugh Weir, did you encounter when you were undertaking the research of the initial number of Irish families? Well, now, uh, some families are particularly well documented. Um, the O'Briens are particularly well documented, for instance. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, of, uh, as, as, as I've already mentioned. Uh, the Murphys, however, uh, somehow never seem to have got very much into the history books except in 1798 in the rebellion there and uh, with a few Lord Mayors of Cork and so forth. They were great, great people but at the same time never seem to have hit the limelight. Consequently they're not found very much in history books. If however we take the O'Sullivans, uh, which I found a most exciting clan to research, uh, although their history is a simple one, they had a lot of very moving um, scenes in their history. Uh, that scene of the, of the O'Sullivan beer making his way up, right up into Leitrim and so forth in the, in the, at the end of the uh, 16th century was one of them. Uh, their ruins are sort of almost alive, even though they are still ruins, if you know what I mean. Uh, again, with the O'Sullivans, not only was the direct line of people traced from Sullivan and the, the one-eyed. But uh, from that stem various other ones. Uh, these, I would term, sets such as the uh, Gila Makoda uh, or the O'Sullivan Vieras, which are different to the O'Sullivan Beeras. Uh, again, uh, the Gila Flan O'Sullivans, another uh, separate family. And these are still traceable. Sadly, many of them have died out. They were, they were sort of killed off in the various wars, the Elizabethan wars and so on. But some of them still remain. And the O'Sullivans that one finds on the Beira Peninsula are descended from the same source as any other Sullivans uh, found both in America or here. Most people who start out tracing their Irish ancestry need some help and guidance. But the Hearty sisters from Boston didn't need any help at all. We've been very successful. As uh, Sheila mentioned, we knew to go towards Tumavara to find the grandfather's family. And, but what we've discovered along the way is we not only have found him, we've found cousins. In fact, one of the cousins um, on our grandfather's side, there is Bishop Michael Harty of Killaloe. And so we not only were entertained royally by the bishop, but also by the bishop's family, Patty Harty's family, um, in Lismore, which is also by Tumavara and met all of these cousins that we didn't know we had. And um, it has grown beyond that point also because we've, we stayed at a B&B &B in Cashel, and the woman looked at my face and said, oh, absolutely, you're a hearty. And she said, in fact, you're, you're related to somebody named Jimmy Slattery. I'm sure of it. She kept saying she was sure of it. And, of course, we hadn't heard that name. 
but we checked with Bishop Hardy when we had lunch with him, and he said, absolutely, he's related to me in the same way that the bishop is related. So we're finding we have an enormous family over here. And had this lady seen you before? No, never saw me before. She just knew from my face that I was a Harty and was related to this man named Jimmy Slattery, who, whose mother was a Harty. You mentioned that your grandmother then was a very important influence in you growing up, and she obviously told you a lot about Ireland and the Irish and her time in Ireland. Um, is that very important uh, to you now, tracing that link, actually coming over here and um, finding out more about the family, making your own connection? Well, the traditional values have always uh, been something I've appreciated rather than uh, new modern ways, and also the Catholicism. I mean, I, uh, as a young Catholic girl, even in America, going to parochial schools, I always wanted to be a nun. And our 97-year-old grandmother still says her rosary on her knees every night before she goes to bed. Uh, so there's this, you know, religious and spiritual influence that the the Irish ancestry always endows future generations with, and uh, so then to go back and find a bishop, you see, that just put the crowning touch on it. <laughs> William C. O'Brien, and the woman he was to marry, emigrated from Ireland more than a hundred years ago. Like many Irish emigrants, they passed on the love they felt for their native land to their children and grandchildren, who absorbed with interest and delight the stories of the old country. One such family gathering in Chicago in 1949 was recorded on an early wire recorder. This is October 30, 1949. We are gathered at 5822 West Iowa Street at the home of that honored oldful Mr. and Mrs. Michael C. O'Brien. Sitting around the living room with them are their grandchildren, Robert Gorman and Michael Smart and their great-grandchildren, little Bobby Gorman and little Michael Smart, and the, the in-laws, Jerry and Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma, what is your name? Catherine O'Brien. And how old are you now? Forty-four. Uh, Forty-four. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like a woman. Eighty-four. I made a mistake. <laughs> and where were you born, Grandma? I was born in uh, Carlow County, Bal Balicarni. That's over in Ireland. That's isn't over it? in Ireland. Uh, how long, how old were you when you came to America? Fourteen years. Um, would you tell us something about your family over in Ireland? What was your mother and father's name? My father was a very popular man. His name was Pierce Gall. And he was born in his grandmother's house. And it was about 100 years old. And now we turn to the beloved grandpa, Michael C. O'Brien. Grandpa, how old are you now? 84. And how, uh, how old were you when you came to this country? Sixteen. You were born in Ireland too, weren't you? I was. And what part of Ireland were you born? I was born in Carrigatoher, County to Prairie, Ireland. Uh, I understand you had some interesting experiences when you were over. I understand you had some interesting experiences when you were over in Ireland. Um, is it true that you used to burn down a few haystacks every now and then? Yes. Were you one of the revolutionaries in Ireland at that time? I was. Uh, could you tell us something about that? 
Well, it was uh, during the time of the Land League. When evictions were taking place all over Ireland, we organized that was the starting of the organization of uh, the Irish Land League. Of course, I've been a young, wild boy. I took an active part in it. You were also active in the Free Ireland movement in this country, weren't yes. you? Yes. Well, you were, uh, what office did you hold in that society? Weren't you president or chairman of something of that type of the Chicago organization? I was president of the John O'Mahony Club of the, of the American Association for the Recognition of the Irish Republic. And did you meet De Valera when he came to this country? Yes, I was on the platform with him. Uh, how about giving us an Irish song, Grandpa? I couldn't sing at all. Yeah, well, just sing the parts that you know. When I came to this country, I had rogues on my feet. A car derived riches, although they look neat. I'll never forget them while my heart beats with joy, for they call me their darling, the wild Irish boy. Since leaving old Ireland, my poor mother died. God bless and protect him were the last words she said. The ring my father gave her, she sent it to me. Tis a far dearer prize than gold gems can ever be. Well, thank you very much, Grandma and Grandpa. Did he tell you other stories about life in Ireland in the 1860s? Well, he told me how rough it was, how difficult it was. For instance, he told me that uh, if uh, anybody improved their house, that they, the rent would go up, and that this discouraged them from wanting to uh, improve the way they lived or to improve their house. And um, But he wasn't bitter, for instance, about the English. I never heard him say a bitter word about the English or about any race or nationality. He was a very uh, compassionate person. He told me the story of how during the time of the Land League, he was very active and uh, he had been burning haystacks and, and he was involved with other people of the Land League and he was under suspicion. But one day he was walking down the road and the landlord approached him on a uh, horse and the landlord stopped and said, uh, don't you tip your hat when you meet me? And my grandfather said, I only tip my hat when I meet a priest or when I pass in front of a church. And at that, the uh, landlord swung at him with a whip, and he grabbed him and pulled him off his horse and knocked him down. Well, he got away, and his friends got together, and they were very concerned about him because uh, he was already under suspicion. And so they hustled him out of the country and got him to America, and that's how he happened to come to America. Uh, my grandfather was president of this uh, fundraising organization in uh, Chicago, and I can remember as a child, I was probably only about five or six years old at this time, going to these uh, big assemblies, and I can remember how I, was in, how I was impressed by the gavel my grandfather had, which he used to bring home with him, and 
he stood at a platform in the, the center at the end of the room, and there were Irish dances and other social activities, and he would give speeches, and others would give speeches, and it was part of the fundraising program for the uh, helping of Ireland. I think uh, his memories of Ireland were not the happiest memories he had suffered in Ireland. And while he loved Ireland, uh, he didn't have many happy memories to talk about. He was always heavily emotionally involved in Ireland and its freedom and independence. I would say after Ireland became free and independent, he was more like he was able to relax more. the grandchildren have become grandparents and new generations feel the need to visit the old homestead and find a field where their ancestors stood and the centuries dissolve as they share in the racial memory finding themselves as they find their roots. When he first came to uh, the United States he landed in Philadelphia where he had a cousin he visited. During that time he also met my uh, grandmother but then he uh, decided to um, try to make his fortune in the silver mines. Maybe one of the reasons why he was attracted to silver, he was born in Tipperary and from his home where I've just come back from visiting, the home where he was born, you can see the silver mine mountains off in the distance. And I stood at the, on the hill of uh, the home where he was born and I looked off at the silver mine mountains there and I couldn't help but think that uh, years by, my grandfather had stood in the same spot and looked just like I was looking at the Silver Mine Mountains. What did it feel like for you when you were standing in that farm in Tipperary, knowing your grandfather, who influenced you so much, lived and grew up there? I felt a strong emotional feeling. I imagined myself back over, over past uh, over a hundred years, and I could, uh, as I looked, uh, came through my mind that I was looking and seeing the same things that he had looked and seen as I looked at the Silver Mine Mountains in the distance and the valley below. And I, I felt the strong tug at my heart at the beauty of, uh, of the scenery, of the beautiful green fields. But there is uh, another feeling, too, that I get, and that is that actually my roots go back more than to my grandfather, but maybe a 1,000 or 2,000 years, and I feel like I'm in the land of my ancestors. If you go back in time, maybe a couple of hundred years, there's been so much intermarriage that you're really related to everyone in the area. So I look with a feeling of affection toward everyone that I see in that area, feeling that probably they're kin to me in some way or other, and I feel the same response from them. I feel them looking at me as though I'm one of their kin who has gone away and I have come back. When I came to this country, I had rogues on my fees. A car derived riches, although they looked neat. 
I'll never forget them while my heart beats with joy, for they call 